I'm really excited with you today because we all share a common problem. Every human that has ever lived has shared this problem. Who is God? And in fact, it is the most fundamental question that we ask, and eternity hinges on how we answer it. So we're interested. So who is God like? How, how do we figure that out? Well, I'd like to give you my opinion about that. We really need for him to tell us. Yeah. We call that revelation. Because if we start with our own thing, well, we're likely to end up with a wrong description. Emmett, you didn't know I knew your name. But I would love for you to help me out today. Would you mind coming up here and just standing by me for a couple of minutes? Would you give Emmett a hand on his way up? That's right. Emmett, there's some people right now that are saying, I hope he never calls on me. Unless you are this good looking, I will not call on you. Because I want you to know, Emmett, did you know that sometimes you're mistaken for Pastor Brad? Yes. Yeah. So uh, you have similar good looks and uh, beautiful hair. Yeah, yeah. You're vegan. You're going to love part of this message. I want you to know it's for people like you. Yeah, yeah. And then you like to build stuff. So I don't know if you knew that Pastor Liddy has called you mini bread. So, yeah. So Ammon is here on purpose today because I just didn't warn him, but I wanted to harass him. No, 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 no. Thank you. For, stay right here. Stay right here. There's 10 bucks in this for you. There's 10 bucks. But you can't leave until I, until I say so. So how many of you know Emmett really well? Yeah. How many of you know Emmett kind of a little bit? Mostly because of what I just said. Most of you weren't listening to what I just said. How many of you don't know Emmett at all, and you don't believe what I just said? Most of you, hands all over the place. There we go. So if I were to say, Ed, I want you to tell me all about Emmett. You know, Ed can play along. He just had a birthday last week, too. He's a smart guy. He'd say, you know, and he would begin to describe Emmett. How much would you believe, Ed? They've never met before. Not so much. Emmett could sound like he really knew, but how would he really get to know Emmett? Well, probably if he hung out with you for a while, because you will do stuff that he can observe. How else do we get to know someone really well? We listen to what they've said. So we discover people by observation and by revelation. Now, here's the problem when it comes to God. There's a lot of people that decide to tell us with confidence about who God is but they haven't spent time with him, and they've ignored his revelation that's come to us primary in the person of Jesus and in the Bible. But they come up with an idea, not of who God revealed himself to be, but an idea around who they hope that God is. And frankly, for the rest of us, their idea is just nonsense to us. If you really want to get to know someone, you'll get to know them by observation and revelation. Now, this afternoon and then on Tuesday, a bunch of us are going to launch into 10 weeks of Rooted. Small groups, there's about 175 of us that are going to participate, and we're going to be put into groups of people that in some cases we don't know at all, or certainly not well, and we're going to, at the end of 10 weeks, have remarkable relationships because we've done what? Two things. We have observed and we have listened. Today, I think we should go right to the Bible and listen to what God wants to reveal about himself to us. And Emmett, 
you're done, and we're gonna applaud you like crazy for putting up with this. Thank you. Right at the beginning, Genesis chapter one, we're gonna talk our way through it. We're gonna do three things. We're gonna look at seven things that God wants you to know about him. We're gonna ask the question, how can this work in my life this week? And then end with two questions about where you probably need for God to show up today. Genesis 1.1. Take a look at it. As it comes up, would you read that first verse out loud with me boldly? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ten words. The first thing God wants you to know about him is that he is creator. God is creator. This is mind-boggling. Before he tells you that he loves you, before he tells you that he wants a relationship with you, he wants you to know this thing first. He is creator. This is God's world. Genesis chapter 1 is kind of like the forward to the book. It's like the abstract before the technical article. It's like these lenses that I got from Dr. Chad that kind of make you come into focus so I can see clearly what you've ended up being over time. No, it is the piece through which God wants us to view all of the rest of the 66 books of the Bible, the first thing he wants you to keep in mind is God is creator. Hmm. God is creator. And that's so critical because millennia later, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, notice it there with me, about why creation is such a powerful revealer of God to us. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, like his eternal power and the divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So let's, let's think about our amazing universe that we live in. Our planet Earth is approximately 25,000 miles around and it's inhabited by over 1.6 million plant and animal species. Did you know that a caterpillar has 228 specific muscles in its head? That's pretty good for a bug. Yeah, I agree. Did you know that the average elm tree has 6 million leaves? Or that your heart has enough strength and pressure to squirt blood 30 feet? We don't recommend trying that on your own, by the, by the way. Did you know that there's over 3,000 species of trees in one square mile in the jungle of the Amazon? Did you know that when spiders build their webs, they create 60 feet of silk per hour while lubricating their feet with special oil so they don't get stuck in their own web? You may not like spiders, but 60 feet of silk is pretty impressive per hour, you have to admit. This is an amazing world. And God wants to start by telling you it's his world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was with our son and son-in-law and um, their three daughters, age seven, six, and five, during the total eclipse. And uh, it, it was such a kick listening to those girls. When the sun began to be uh, covered by uh, the moon from our perspective, it was ooh and ah and wow. 
Now, I lived with them for the better part of a week, and they like Papa's devices because Papa has really cool apps. And they spent some device time, but I never heard any of the three of them, ooh, or ah, or wow, like they did when they were experiencing the eclipse. This is God's world, and you see his grandeur in it. Our planet is the third rock from the sun uh, in our solar system. Now, the sun is about 93 million miles, or one AU, astronomical unit, away. Neptune, the eighth planet, is 30 AUs away from the sun, or almost 3 trillion miles from us. Now, the average airspeed of a passenger jet is about 575 miles an hour. So if you were traveling at that speed, it would take you over 18 years nonstop to travel to reach the sun, although it might hit too warm before you got there. Or it would take over 536 years to reach Neptune. Now, our sun is one star of 200 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. Imagine that. And the Milky Way is 100,000 light years across and 100,000 light years deep. One light year is, is over 6 trillion miles. It's the distance light travels in a vacuum in a year. So flying on our plane at seven, 575 miles an hour, it would take us over 1 million years to travel one light year. And our galaxy is over 100,000 light years across. And if that doesn't put you in perspective, our galaxy is one of potentially two trillion galaxies. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He wants you to know that. (laughs) And so the psalmist says, read it with me, would you? Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. A good place to start worship. God is creator. Now, how long did this take? How old is the world? I don't know. I just did a fun little search, and I found out some folks that absolutely believe with all of their heart that they were the, the earth, the planet, is 6,000 years old. I understand where they're coming from. It's hard for me to imagine that, but I understand where they're coming from. And then I also read that the earth is about 4.5 billion years old. Last I checked, there's an absolute number between 4.5 billion and 600,000, or 6,000 is a pretty big difference, Right? So just how old is it? I'm here to tell you today what I exactly know about that. And I quote our good friend, Dr. A.J. Swoboda. I wasn't there. I really don't know. So I'm going to leave it there. It's not clearer than that for me. And I'm going to be just fine leaving it right there. And frankly, the magnitude of what God has presented as himself as creator is entirely, in my opinion, entirely irrespective of the answer to that age question. It is equally massive and miraculous in the creative power and energy of God. First thing God wants you to know is creator. The second thing is that God is present. Notice verse two. Aren't you glad that we're going verse by verse? We're at verse two. Here we go. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God wants you to know that he is present even in chaotic empty, and dark times. 
In fact, especially in chaotic, empty, and dark times, God is present. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment and think. I know, it feels weird. You're going to have to trust me. Some of you will. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and think with me. And as you do, I want you to think about the biggest challenge you're going through right now in life. For Ann and me, it's very easy to think of. It's our neighborhood. It's just rocked with strife and division and mess. It's chaotic. What's the biggest challenge in your life right now? I want you to see it, taste it, and one of you is responding vocally to that experience. Your biggest challenge. God wants you to know Second of all, most important thing he chose you to know about him. He is present in that challenge. God is creator and God is present. Go ahead and look back this way. Number three thing that God wants you to know is that God speaks and makes things better. (laughs) God said, I was with uh, one of my friends. He's here in the room. Uh, I won't call him out. Emmett, you're the only person I'm going to publicly embarrass today. I just want you. I got it out of my system. Thank you. Everybody's going, Phew. And so we were having a fun chat, and um, I jokingly quoted half of a verse, and I gave him the reference, and I said, and it's part B. And then I said, anybody that quotes half a verse to you, you should be suspicious, right? Yeah. And we both laughed, and, and he let me know that he really, it bothers him when people like condense stuff down in the Bible and put dot, 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 and I agreed with him. I said, when I see three dots, it just makes me want to go back and see why they left it out, because I think they're manipulating me. That's what I said earlier this week. You know what I'm doing right now to you? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Here we go. Here we go. Now, this is not for my intention to dilute, but rather to concentrate. I wanted to concentrate the pattern of the chapter 1 of Genesis. This is what it says. The first verses are representative, and then I do the concentration. Here we go. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and he called the darkness night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, and God said, Then God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, then God said, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now, please this week, go back and read the rest of the chapter. But the pattern of the chapter is clear. God creates, he is present, and when he is present, he speaks. And when he speaks, things get better. I believe that God is speaking to you today. I think he's going to speak to you tomorrow. You may listen about as poorly as I do from time to time and miss some of those messages. But God is speaking. He's speaking to us as a church. He gives us messages of defining where he's taking us in our community together. God speaks. And when he speaks, things are better. The fourth thing God wants you to know is that God is relational. Genesis 2, 27 says, So God created mankind 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. It's very interesting. So God could only express himself. And the Bible primarily, though not exclusively, uses masculine genders to describe God. That's partly because of the construction of the language that's used there. If you go through the Bible, especially through the prophets, there's many illusions that God gives about himself exhibiting what we would commonly think as female traits or characteristics, including nursing children. But notice here that for God to completely translate his likeness and image in humans, that he had to do that in the human forms of male and female. So what do we learn here about what God is saying about himself? Well, he's telling us that he's relational. Now, just really briefly here, this is you know, mind-boggling, and I won't talk long because this stuff is confusing for me, okay? So I won't give you all my confusion, but here's the deal. God reveals himself as plural. Let us make mankind in our own image. So God's talking to himself. And notice here in our third and fourth verse that God is describing this plural singularity. I know, that's a paradox. God, verse 3. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, verse 1. God, if we take our lens and look through the rest of the Bible, we would come back and say God may be expressing God personhood here as God the Father. Created the heavens and the earth. Now, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the who? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Father, the Spirit, as we interpret from the rest of Scripture backward. And then verse 3, and God said, this vocal expression of God, the Word of God. John, in John's Gospel, in the prologue, in the first verses, gives us interpretation backwards here. And he says, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, yeah, that's good, was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And John goes on to introduce us to Jesus Christ, the human physical form of God's Son. So what we're introduced to here is the Trinity. Now, what the Bible is not suggesting is that this is three gods that we worship, nor is the Trinity simplified in one God that expresses himself in three different personalities or modes. So you're saying, well, what's left? What's left is three and one. I don't have a construct that makes sense of that. I think in three dimensions. Some of you that are mathematicians have been able to press that further into a fourth and fifth and maybe some think it's an eighth dimension. But we don't have ninth dimensional thinking here in terms of eternity and in terms of the three and one complexity. And in fact, I would also tell you that I don't think that God, God has made it entirely easy for us to get our smaller heads around. But I will tell you this, God wants you to know this. He is community. He is relational. And decided among himself in a conversation, let us make humans in our image. God wants you to know, even before he's going to tell you that he loves you, he wants you to know that his essence is one of eternal community. And while we can't get our heads wrapped around what that looks like in those infinite dimensions, it does let us know that community is God's experience and it's what he wants to share with us. God is relational. 
three in one. The fifth thing God wants you to know is that God is purposeful. As we take a look at verse 28, notice the first three verses. God blessed them. Now, this is pretty cool because the first thing God did to the first humans was to bless them. Hmm. Some of you have gotten all messed up, right? You had parents that were probably well-meaning, but they modeled what adulthood was like for you in such broken and twisted ways that their well-meaningness did not trump the brokenness that they expressed. And you took that parent-child relationship and you overlaid that with who God is and you ended up with a God that's nasty and mean or broken or inconsistent. Some of you have gotten messed with at church because every church is imperfect because it's full of imperfect people and they believe stuff with all their heart that was just sideways and broken and they taught you about a God that isn't the God that's revealing himself here in Genesis chapter one and it's a God that takes and a God that demands and a God that extracts, a God that wants stuff from you. And I just want to just like take this beautiful water and just let it wash across your life and your head and your heart and your soul and just kind of wash out some of the junk about those broken images. The first act of God to humans was God blessed them. Wow. And he hasn't changed. God blesses you. And this is how he blessed them on that day. He said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God blessed them with purpose, meaningful work, tending his world with him. The blessing of purpose. Gallup spent several years surveying over 17 million employees around the world asking the question, are there some common traits that engaged employees that are a part of highly productive teams tend to exhibit? And they found 12 questions that if answered yes, will indicate a high likelihood of highly engaged employees on a highly successful team. They call it the Q12. Now I'm going to ask you to read these 12. I'm going to ask you to listen as I read these 12 questions. And I'm going to ask you to listen with the backdrop of how God made you in his likeness and image, the Imago Dei, the image of God, and blessed you with purpose. I'm asking this rhetorical question. Are any of these questions a surprise that God would create us in ways to aspire toward this environment? Number one. Do you know what's expected of you at work? Do you have the materials and equipment to do your work right? At work, do you have the opportunity to do what you do best every day? In the last seven days, have you received recognition or praise for doing good work? Does your supervisor or someone at work care about you as a person? Is there someone at work who encourages your development? At work, do your opinions seem to count? Does purpose, the purpose of your company, make you feel like your job is important? 
At work, do your opinions, excuse me, are your associates committed to doing quality work? Do you have a best friend at work? In the last six months, has someone at work talked to you about your progress? In the last year, have you had opportunities to learn and grow? No surprise that those would be the questions that are asked and answered because God wired you to aspire toward purposeful engagement that many of you, if you're at a stage in life and have the good fortune of being employed, find in your employment place. Now, some of you are not employed. Some of you are employed at school. You're called students, and some of you are retired. I've heard about friends that have retired that they've never been busier in their life than after they've retired. I've also helped some business owners that they've sold their business and tried to move into retirement, experience extreme difficulty with that change psychologically. And it's not just because they were workaholics. They may not have been, but it's that's what made sense out of purpose of their life. And when they were removed from the structure of that environment, they were put into an environment with no new structures, and they were drifting and felt without purpose until they found a way, as many of you have done if you're in that stage of life, to craft a purposeful life because God has designed you to live with purpose. So he tells us he's creative, he is present, he speaks, he's relational, and God is purposeful. Number six, God is generous. Verses 29 and 30 say, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they'll be yours for food. And all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. Oh. I have already discredited myself substantially for many of you. I'm going to include the rest of you that may not know this about me. I am a vegetarian. Silent in here. <laughs> so when uh, you still love me, I know it's difficult. But I'm not a vegan. So when folks want to argue with me, you know, sometimes I'll just get stinky and I'll just say, well, all I had to do is go to the first page of the Bible. Where do you start with your eating things that have mama deal, right? Yeah. yeah. So it talks here about eating plants and eating fruit. I don't think the point of this was be vegetarian. I don't. I think the point was God is generous. So the first two things that he says, says to these people are, I'm going to bless you and now I'm going to give stuff to you. God is telling us is, you thought I came to take stuff from you. You thought I gave you things to do for me. Let me tell you who I am. I am a generous giver. I'm going to give to you. By the way, I'm not very successful in encouraging people to be vegetarians. My uh, son-in-law regularly uh, shoots things that have mothers and then he brings them home and eats them. And some of you are very excited about going hunting this fall too. And some of you are nearly offended about how I have just described that activity. So, so yeah. yeah. So last year for my birthday, uh, Raleigh sends me a text. And there's this picture of him. He just killed the, the buck, right? So he's holding up this buck by the antlers and, you know, he's all bloody and camoed and messy and smiling from ear to ear. And then the text says, your lucky day. I caught this one eating your lunch. 
Yeah. Yeah. God wants you to know these things about him. He wants you to know that he's the creator. He wants you to know that he's present, that he speaks and makes things better, that he's relational. He wants you to know that he's purposeful and that he's generous. And last, he wants you to know that he is good. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I love this. God gives him a self-evaluation and posts five stars. It's just, it is so awesome. Yeah. God is good. Hmm. So how does this creativity work this week? How does it look and feel? Some of you are familiar with this model uh, about creativity that's coming up, and it has four points to it. I'll make sense of it. It's form, storm, norm, perform. How many of you are familiar with those four words in this model? Yeah, probably a third of you or so. It's really very cool and helpful. It's been around for quite a while. It's helpful especially to describe, for example, how teams develop toward creativity. Initially, the team forms. And it's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's what's going to happen for some of you this afternoon at Rooted. It'll happen for others of you on Tuesday morning or Tuesday evening. This team forms. There's going to be a dozen people, some of whom you've never met before, maybe most of whom you don't know well at all. And there's a formation. And your facilitator is going to help walk you through just kind of some safe personal information, like a little bit like your, your name and maybe how long, how, how long you've been around Evergreen or something kind of safe. And we're going to form. And it's kind of scary. There's no glue there. There's no shared experience. But we're forming. And then we storm. And you know what storms are like. It's happened for you at school with a group or at work or with your neighbors. And all of a sudden, there's misunderstanding and we step on each other's toes. And I thought I was supposed to do that and you did that. And the elbows fly a little bit and it's kind of messy and it's kind of a nuisance. But storming is critical for that group in its formation because if it storms well, it will create norms. Oh, Lydia, that's your job. This is my job. I'll stop doing that. And now there is a norm. It's called a job description. It creates norms for us. And now as we're norming together, there's actually high performance. There is, there is creativity that happens. Hmm. And then when someone leaves the group, all of a sudden it goes back to forming. And there's a little bit of storming and norming toward high performance. And then someone comes to the group and there's some new forming again. We all understand how that works for us. I think it's also a model that looks like Genesis chapter 1. Hmm. I think that in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. And what did that look like? It was formless, it was empty, and it was dark. And God, by His Spirit and by His Word, began hovering and speaking over this mess. And now He's beginning in this formation. And I think that God was storming. There's about seven major tectonic plates. When those move unexpectedly, what happens? What do we call that? And an earthquake. The earth in its dynamic vitality and still slow formation will have vents that sometimes allow magna to come out. Some of you have seen the active volcano on the south end of the big island of Hawaii. I think that when those tectonic plates were moved and all of a sudden there's this separation, I think it was probably a pretty storming experience as all of a sudden waters were separated from land. And the story of creation is one of separation, tearing things apart, differentiating. And then all of a sudden, 
Everything had its norm. God said light and darkness and night and day and land and water and sea creatures and air creatures and and now there's boundaries and there's order that comes and God finishes this design and says, now that is very good. Mm. Now, I didn't find storm, norm form, storm form, whatever that was. I didn't find that in the Bible. And you can take that with a grain of salt. Some of you are just chomping on huge pieces of salt right now. You can take that or leave that. But I will want to tell you this. I do think as we move it now, as we end, or this is a very personal application, I think that many of you will think about your life. And some of you are living here right now. And you're going, if God really is good, if God really is present, if he really does speak and make things better, why doesn't it look and feel more like that in my life right now? <laughs> yeah. When I think about the, the real confused, chaotic mess in our neighborhood, and we have prayed and we continue to pray, it's like, God, couldn't you come fix this faster? We still seem to be storming here. Hmm. I think as a church, we're doing some storming. I don't think, I, I know. Some of us are storming a little more than others, but every time key leaders in our church, people that we deeply love, pastors that we've entrusted our lives and told our stories to, people that we have looked up to as examples of what it is to follow Jesus, like Rick and Elizabeth Sachek and their kids that we sent just three or four weeks ago to, to pastor in Battleground, that is a reformation for our church. That is a tearing apart of stuff that was very important to us. There were patterns. There were relationships. There was comfort that we found. There was support and encouragement that they brought. There was organization and order. And all of a sudden, a whole lot of things get stormy and murky and chaotic and uncertain because people that have been so important in our lives have been torn out of our lives. And we look into the middle of How could that be good? And and then we trust this God who's present. And our prayer is, God, we don't know how you're going to do that, but but we trust you to build us forward in your creativity and your goodness and in ways that continue not only to help us recover, but to move on in whole new vistas of purpose that you have for us. I think we're storming here at Evergreen this fall. We have essentially ended almost all of our groups, some of which have been going on for years where there's these patterns and relationships that are beautiful. They've been normed, and these are high-performance relationships that we have. I always go there on X time of the week and meet with these Y people, and this is so important. We have blown those up. It's a storming time to give the opportunity for new circles of relationship and new discoveries and rooted. And as we launch into it this afternoon and Tuesday, we're in this place of I'm suddenly thrust in with people that I didn't choose to be with doing something I'm not certain about, and I don't know that I'm going to like them on the other side, and I'm expected to share my life and story in the middle of this. It's we're in a new season. It's a stormy season. What do we make of that? Well, I think in a difficult season, the chaos in the community where Ann and I are living, what I need is a fresh word, a fresh word from God. The God who's not only creative and he's present, but he speaks. A fresh word for a fresh season. I think here at Evergreen, a fresh word for a fresh season. What is God saying to you? And in your life this week, wherever it is that you're experiencing, the kinds of uncertainties that we've described that are certainly part, not only of God's redemptive story, but of his creative story, having a fresh word for a new season. An old, stale word never brings enough faith for a fresh new season. 
We need this kind of God. It was just a week ago that Ann and I heard the horrible news that one of the dear men in the Evergreen congregation lost his life at sea. Bob Zimmel and his best friend, James Warren, who's from McMinnville and part of another congregation, were out in the boat out of Depot Bay doing what both of them are passionate about doing. And we'll never know what happened in that tragic accident as the boat capsized and both of them lost their lives. Bob, Bob, 69 years old, married for eight years to Sharon. Sharon found the love of her life. Hmm. 69. Bob's still professionally working. Many of you did not know him well. Most of you, if you saw a picture of him, if you do come to his Celebration of Life Memorial Service here in this room this Wednesday at 5 o'clock. You'll see pictures of Bob. You'll recognize him because his smile was infectious. It was always present and just got bigger when he saw you. You can't make sense of that chaos. So Lydia and I are with Sharon and kids and adult children and, and we're... We're laughing because they have a wonderful sense of humor as a family and the most hilarious stories to tell. And then we're crying. So, so you move from laughter to, to Sharon saying, I just, I can't sleep. I don't think I can bear this. So I reach across the table and... We take Sharon's hand and the kids around and Lydia and and you feel so awfully unable, don't you? So I'm feeling compassion and I can enter into a little bit of empathy with Sharon, but I have never been there. Some of you have been there. You've, you've lost a spouse. You can empathize in ways I can. All I know is whatever I feel isn't even close and whatever I say will never be enough. And I just said, Sharon, I, we just wish we could reach into your heart and take some of this grief and just take it away and carry it for you. But we couldn't. But I did think this. Sharon knows a God who creates. And right now, right now, he's creating things in and among and around her and for her. And right now, God is present in ways that we can never be present. Lives within her with entire and absolute empathy. And it is the hovering spirit that can bring comfort where others can't. And right now, God is speaking some things. Some of those things he's going to use us to be spokespersons for, but he's speaking things that are going to make this better. And right now God is relational and he's caring for her and he's giving family and friends to support her in that. And right now God is purposeful. And while it would be so stupidly presumptuous for me to ever to try to attribute any sense-making of Bob's untimely death, I can trust a God who is weaving a beautiful tapestry, the other side of heaven that will make sense. On this side, it just looks like hanging strings. And a God who is generous and a God who is good. Hmm. 
My last question for you is this. So where do you need God today? You know a lot of things about God that you've been told. Isn't it nice to actually listen to God's self-introduction? Because he presented himself to you in some surprising ways today, didn't he? As Ann was preparing to drive to Battleground this morning and I was on my way here, we talked a little bit about what she might anticipate as she was speaking to this congregation that neither of us have a relationship with, but we're really kind of woven together with Evergreen and Battleground Washington because the Sawchucks on the 1st of October are going to be introduced there as lead pastors. So we have this relationship that's defined, but we have no personal experience. And Ann and I, because we've <laughs> spoken itinerantly over the years, have discovered that you can never expect what you're going to get for an introduction. I've had many introductions of others that I would have begged them. I would have paid them not to have given me because they dug a hole so deep I never did get out of it. And sometimes there's a helpful introduction that really sets people up and they go, oh, this sounds like somebody that might be interesting and helpful for me to listen to. And sometimes there's no introduction at all. God opted for the last. I don't want anybody introducing me. I want to introduce myself. And he has today. Where do you need God? in your life today. Let's pray. Thank you, amazing God, your creative power. We ooh and we all. Thank you, God, for being with us, especially in chaos and emptiness and darkness. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. Holy Spirit, would you give words right now from yourself to us. They'll likely come across our mind. We'll probably feel them emotionally in our heart. There'll be kind of a sense of that's different than just my normal thoughts. And then you'll confirm that through Scripture and through others. Oh God, relational God, would you fill us with your Spirit in fresh ways so that this week we'll live in an awareness of a relationship with you. Those of us that feel like we're drifting, untethered, unanchored, Lord, in life, would you define for us purpose and how you've called us to partner in your good work on earth? Generous God, would you forgive us of believing that you were somehow stingy and that you were mostly only begrudging as you would give? We receive your generosity, God, and Thank you, God, above all else, that all that you do, all that you touch, everywhere you engage is always very, very good. We receive you today, God, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.